Hello, thanks for checking out the KZMC podcast. My name is April Zaire, and I'm an associate pastor at KZMC. This podcast is a recording of sermon teachings from our 9.30 a.m. Sunday morning worship gatherings. We release a new episode every Tuesday. If you're looking to check out our Sunday mornings, you can find our live stream over on our YouTube channel on Kingsfield Zurich Mennonite Church. We'd also love to have you join us in person. You can find out all the details about our Sunday mornings on our website, kzmc.ca. Thanks for listening and have a great day. So my name is Joel. This is my wife, Petra, our oldest son, Malachi. And then we have two others that went with the other kids, Simon and Caleb. And we just recently made a move to Wellesley. Uh, we moved from Madoc, small town in eastern central Central Eastern Ontario, north of Belleville, east of Peterborough. And uh, we made the move to take a position with Multiply, the missions organization of the Mennonite Brethren. And uh, we have a bit of a history with uh, the missions organization. My wife and I did the one-year discipleship training program uh, with them 13 years ago when we were first married. And, uh, and it was actually around that time when I met Ryan Yancey. And so, you know, maybe you recognize uh, my face and our family because we have been uh, kind of floating in and out of uh, uh, Zurich as we've visited Ryan over the years as well and the family. So they're, they're good friends of ours um, and uh, obviously a ton of, of history here. And Ryan and I get to serve kind of alongside each other in this new role as he's with the denomination, the Ontario Mennonite Brethren denomination and conference. And, uh, and I am, uh, we're working in the same office and we get to visit some churches uh, together. And we just recently had that opportunity um, in, uh, in some regional gatherings. So it's a real, it's a real honor to journey with him and to be with the Multiply organization. So some of you may know Philip and Robin Cerez. So they are, have been the mission mobilizers, regional mobilizers for Multiply in this region for 20 plus years. And so I am walking in their footsteps as, as a mission mobilizer for this region, mobilizing, coming alongside the church, coming alongside you, and equipping and mobilizing people into mission, both locally and globally. And so I had the privilege of being with your uh, youth group uh, last summer for a uh, program that we call SOAR, a local missions uh, uh, trip right here in, uh, in this region, the KW uh, region. And we're going to do it again this summer. And so we're just in the plans of doing that. And so it's things like that, as well as long-term partnerships with, with our long-term missionaries and everything in between that I get the privilege of um, joining in and providing some leadership for. Uh, I was also here back uh, about a year and a bit ago, right? When you, the, the transition was just new. Ryan had recently uh, moved on and, uh, and we had put this prayer retreat into motion. And so the church agreed, hey, this is a good idea. Let's, let's keep, keep moving forward with it. And it was a really meaningful time uh, together. And so I look back on that really fondly and, and I know that this last year has been quite a journey for you. Uh, and it's been a good journey and a challenging journey, I'm sure. I have, uh, 
uh, too. I've walked through transition in churches on a few occasions. When I was a, a volunteer youth pastor in, uh, in college, and I was leading this junior high youth group at a small church in Hamilton, uh, and after about a year, the pastor left, and we were about a year without a pastor, and I was like the only staff person as a volunteer pastor uh, uh, in the church, and, and they brought in an interim pastor, and it was all fine. We walked through that season, and then a few years later, it was kind of the same story. I joined this church after a few months, uh, became uh, part-time. This time, I was actually on the books as a youth pastor, and then the pastor moved on, and so then, there I was again. The lone uh, staff person journeyed for, for a year again uh, with that church and that transition, and then just uh, two years ago, no, a few, maybe three or four years ago, our, our church in Madoc um, pastor moved on, and this time, I wasn't on staff of the church, but I, uh, I uh, chaired the pastoral search committee. And so uh, I, I understand a little bit of, of what uh, your church has been going through in the last little while. And I just wanted to, uh, to hopefully provide some encouragement in the journey. And it's very exciting that uh, you're having a candidate to come and speak next week. And the invitation from the leadership team to, to intentionally listen, to listen, sift, and... Sift, sift, and consider. All right, sit. Yeah, sift and consider. I love that. I love it. Today we're going to look at uh, this passage from Exodus 3. And it is, too, a story of transition. Moses has fled Egypt to the desert. And he's found a place of, of refuge. And he's tending the sheep of his father-in-law. And this has gone on for quite a time, for 40 years that he is doing this. And he's in this season of, of uh, tending the flock and then is moved and has this encounter with God at the burning bush. And it begins this incredible chain of events. It's a story of paying attention to the voice of the Lord. It's a story of seeking and surrendering. A story of wrestling and doubt. And I pray that God will encourage our hearts together as we dive into this passage. So if you have the Bible, I invite you to uh, open it up because we're going to kind of walk, slowly walk through it, kind of verse by verse. So Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father in law. He led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The far side of the desert. As I read this, I felt an invitation from God that we need to get alone with God. I need to get alone with God. We need to go to the far side of the desert to spend regular and sustained times in silence and solitude, to sit, to listen, to give ear to the Lord. Maybe uh, it's not the desert that we need to go to. Maybe it's the other side of the house that we need to go to. I know with a kid or a room full, a house full of kids, even going to the other side of the house 
provide some, some quiet and some alone. Maybe for you, it's the other side of your, your field. Maybe it's the other side of your town. You need to go somewhere and, and get alone with God. And as we go, and as we spend time with him, maybe you're like I, and, and nothing particularly profound happens. You're in this place of prayer. You're on the far side of the gather. You're, you're there to, to meet with God, and, and nothing particularly profound happens. And as I think about Moses' story, 40 years of nothing particularly profound happening, of wondering what God was up to, he had this heart, as we know from earlier in the story, to deliver his people from Egypt. And now what? Now he sits in the desert until there is this encounter. He notices this burning bush that is not consumed by the fire. And so he pays attention. Ryan and I were recently on a uh, prayer walk. So as Ryan lives in Wellesley, and we do too. And so every, once in a, every week now, we get together and go for a prayer walk in the town. And we were praying. And, and we've done this a few times, and often it's, it's fun, it's, it's meaningful, but nothing particularly profound uh, happens in that prayer time. We're just being present and faithfully walking this out. And then one time recently, just last week, I was praying for a friend of one of our sons, and I was surprised. All of a sudden, God's heart aligns with my heart, and I feel him praying through me. And as I'm doing it through tears and overwhelmed by the love for this individual, and I've never even met them, just one of the friends of our sons. Sometimes nothing particularly profound happens, but God asks us to be present, to be faithful in that place of seeking and surrendering. Later on in the passage, verse 4, we see when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, when the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to look at this burning bush that is not consumed, God called to him from within the bush. There seems to be a correlation between Moses' seeking and God's speaking. God honors a humble and hungry heart. But what does it mean to have a, a humble and hungry heart? I think one of those ways in which we see that is when we ponder things with the Lord, when we bring questions to him. That's been one of the most fruitful and meaningful ways in which I have been able to tune in to the voice of the Lord in my life, is to bring a question before him. And I try to avoid questions, yes and no answers the question, right? God, do you want me to do this thing? Yes or no? Is this your will, yes or no? Instead, asking open questions with words like how and what. God, how are you at work in my life? How are you longing to to reveal yourself to me in this 
season, in this circumstance? How are you inviting me to respond? What are you longing to highlight to me as I open up your scriptures? What in my life needs to hear this word right now? So when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. When was the last time that you and I heard the Lord speak our names? It changes everything. Oh, how we need that. We need that. We need to be in that place of prayer and hear God speak our names. We need to let him look at us. Let him touch us, the deep places of our being. No agenda, but simply to be in the presence of God, to know and be known by him. Moses. Moses. Moses' response is, here I am. Here I am. What a great prayer. Here I am. I bring my whole self, body, soul, and spirit before you, God. What a great prayer for you and I to start our days with. What a great prayer to take in to every moment of our day. Here I am, God. Here I am. Here I am. I'm here to listen, to be present, to be fully present to the God that's fully present to me. I invite you just for a a moment to close your eyes and let's pray that prayer. Practice this right now in this moment. In your own heart, speak those words to God as you bring your whole self before him. Here I am. Here I am. I am seen by God. I am known by God. I am loved by God. Here I am. You can open your eyes. As the passage continues to unfold, we we pick it up in verse 7. And this is the next portion of the scriptures is what I really wanted to focus on today and is where I got the title of this message, Rescue Story. Rescue Story. And we see the first part here. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. 
I have indeed seen. The more literal translation is, in seeing, I have seen. There's a doubling up of the verb there. And commentators agree that this is something significant, of importance. It's not only that I have seen their misery and affliction and suffering, but I've seen it thoroughly. I've seen it attentively, accurately, diligently, fully. I have seen, I have indeed seen the misery of my people. He knew the full extent of their suffering, both physically and mentally and emotionally. He knew. He saw. I have indeed seen. There's great power in being seen, isn't there? Truly seen, I mean, just as there is great pain in being ignored and unseen. Our God, the Lord God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses, the God of the Scriptures, is a God who sees you. He sees you. He has seen your pain and your suffering. He has indeed seen. The Lord goes on to say, I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I have heard. The Hebrew word Shema implies that one is hearing attentively and carefully with understanding. Now we've all experienced both on the giving end and on the receiving end. I have heard you, but I wasn't really listening. Has anyone experienced that recently? Has anyone said that recently? I know I have said it probably multiple times to either my kids or my wife this week. I heard you, but I wasn't really listening. This is not what is happening in the text. I have heard you, says God. Again, what power in being truly heard as in being truly seen. This is really the heart of counseling, isn't it? In my own limited uh, understanding and training in, in counseling, it's about listening. About listening generously, about giving people space to be heard. A good counselor, a good coach, a, a good friend is one who doesn't necessarily give good advice, but one who gives ear, who listens. Now, only if I could remember that more often <laughs> in my parenting and in my marriage, but I'm learning slowly, as I'm sure you are as well. See, when my wife uh, shares in her frustrations and desperation, she isn't looking for one for advice. She's looking for one who hears. And praise God, we have one who is attentive to the cries of our suffering. We serve a God who has heard. Who has heard. 
who has heard every prayer, every cry, every silent tear, he's heard you. The Lord goes on to say, and I am concerned about their suffering. I am concerned. Other versions translate this, I am aware or I know their sufferings. And that's the more literal translation, to know. I know their sufferings. It's the same word that is used to describe physical intimacy in the Old Testament. In Genesis 4.1, Adam knew his wife, Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to a son. It's an intimate, deep knowing. And so it's appropriate that the NIV translates it, I am concerned. Because that's really what all of these Hebrew verbs have been pointing to and implying that God sees, God hears, God knows, and He cares. He cares. I'm concerned. Friends, God knows what you have gone through and He knows what you are going through. Let that sink in for a moment. I know and I care, says the Lord. In verse 8, so I have come down. I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land. I have come. I have come. You see, if someone is genuinely concerned about someone else, it moves them to action. If you really knew and you really cared, you would do something about it. A little story. Uh, Petra was about eight and a half months pregnant with our second son, Simon, and I kissed her and our not yet two-year-old son, Malachi, goodbye, and I headed for El Salvador on a short-term missions trip with a group of youth. Now, looking back, probably not the wisest decision. I could have probably planned that trip a little better. But there I was in El Salvador, and there Petra was in Madoc. And as you can imagine, Petra was under a lot of uh, strain emotionally, physically, and eight and a half months pregnant with a toddler, not sleeping well, not feeling well. And then one night, a couple days after I had left, the smoke detector goes off in the middle of the night. Now, a smoke detector is annoying and alarming at the best of times, but in the middle of the night, in those circumstances, it was more than just a little frightening. She got up, ran throughout the room looking for the fire, and uh, everything was fine. Everything was fine. It turns out that the fire alarms were just malfunctioning. There's probably some dust or debris in the alarms that were setting it off. We later on replaced them. But she's, uh, her heart is racing. She's quite upset. And unable to call her husband in El Salvador. And so she calls her dad. (laughs) Now her dad is uh, in Alberta. 
some, a few thousand kilometers away. So he can't just show up in the moment, but he's a good listener, as I've come to experience as well. And he listens patiently, lovingly, and gently reassures his daughter. And Petra is able to go back to sleep and get some sleep anyway, some resemblance of rest. And then less than 48 hours later, her dad shows up at the door. <laughs> Unbeknownst to her, he just hopped on a plane and came to his daughter who was in distress because he had seen, he had heard, he knew, and he had come. You can imagine the embrace as daughter melts into the arms of father. I have come, says the Lord. I have come to rescue, to rescue my people. To rescue them from what? Hmm. See, what a foreshadowing this story is of the ultimate rescuer that was to come. God was coming. This time he wasn't going to come through a prophet like Moses, but he was going to come himself in the flesh to rescue once and for all his people. Rescue them from what? From their oppressor? As you know, the Israelites were under captivity again when Jesus came. They were under Roman captivity, control. Was Jesus coming to rescue them from Rome? I recently listened to an interview that our very own Ryan Yancey did with Pablo Lazinski, a church planning pastor in Lviv, Ukraine. Does anyone know Pablo? He's connected to this Mennonite circles, in certain circles, anyways. So Pablo was sent from Southridge Church in St. Catharines, one of our MB churches, and he is a native of Ukraine. His family immigrated to Canada in 2001 and went back to Ukraine in 2005 as a missionary to his own people. Towards the end of the interview, after he had described some of the very real struggles and devastations caused by the current Russian occupation and invasion, Ryan asked him, what do you tell people when they ask, where is God in this? In the midst of this war and suffering. And this is what Pablo had to say. I remind them that Jesus came into an occupied country, occupied by the Romans. The simple answer to where is God in this? Well, he is with those who are occupied. Also, Jesus' life and ministry demonstrated that it's not just about winning on the battlefield directly. I believe in justice, 
I believe God allows us to protect ourselves and there is a place for our support of our army and everything, but it's not going to solve the big problem of evil. If we are going to drive Putin back and his army, he won't stop in trying to fight back. The win is really in the gospel. Only the gospel can change hearts. It is very difficult for me to love Russians and what they have done, but I try to love as Jesus did. If I look at Jesus' love for me, it motivates me to at least pray for them. I pray for repentance, God's work. There is necessary deep work of God in Russia because it's a country full of pride, just full of thinking of their superiority. Only the gospel can change that. End quote. When the Messiah came to rescue his people, the Jews had a certain picture of what that would look like. Freedom from their captors. Freedom from their oppressors. Political and economic and religious rights and freedoms. But Jesus' rescue plan was different. Their captors weren't the real problem. Yes, their suffering was real. Yes, he saw, he heard, and he knew their suffering. But rescuing them from Rome wasn't going to solve it. They needed, we needed, someone who could rescue us from something even greater than a cruel and power-hungry empire. We needed someone who could rescue us, not from the evil out there, but from the evil in here, our sin. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53. And what is sin? It's the insistence of defining good and evil on our own terms apart from God. Whatever is true for you is true for you. No, can't be. That is the very root of sin. When Adam and Eve tried to know good and evil apart from God, evil was born in the human heart. We believe the lie from the father of lies, the devil. And that is why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come to destroy our political enemies. He came to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3.8. He came to destroy the lie once and for all that God is keeping something from us. That God can't be trusted. That He doesn't really have our best interests in mind. That He doesn't really see you and hear you and know you. That He hasn't really come to rescue you. But on the contrary, we see in Jesus Christ 
something radically different. We see that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but he'll live. He'll live forevermore. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. John 3, 16 and 17. Jesus didn't come to condemn his enemies. He came to die for them. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come, says Jesus, that you might have life and life to the fullest. I have come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. I have come. So now go. Verse 10. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But God, I thought you were the one who was going to rescue the people. You are the one that has come to deliver us. And God says, yes, yes, and I'm going to do it with you, Moses. I'm going to do it with you, KZMC. (laughs) But who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites up out of Egypt? And what did God say? I am with you. I will be with you. Verse 12. It echoes a familiar passage, doesn't it? When Jesus is commissioning his disciples, the end of the Gospel of Matthew, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always. Indeed, I am with you always even to the very end of the age. I have come, so now go. In closing, I want to read a story, another story from the Ukraine that comes from our Multiply Witness magazine. It comes out quarterly, and if you don't have a subscription to it, I encourage you to to consider it, to check it out. There are stories from around the world of how God is encountering people. So there is a slide. Next one, yeah. So this story, I'm just going to read it directly from the magazine. When Spring Returns. Unlike thousands of refugees fleeing Ukraine, Yulia was desperate to get back. She had just received news that her son, a soldier, had been killed. I will never forget the day I heard about his death, Yulia said. My son, Ignat, he was most wonderful. When my husband died, Ignat was only nine. He would always help taking his little sister, Victoria, to school. 
One time he sold his motorcycle to buy me a gift for Mother's Day. Yulia felt that she had no choice but to leave the safety of Poland and against the tide of evacuees return to Ukraine. At the very least, Yulia thought, in anguish, she could try to recover his body. But more than that, she wanted to save her 16-year-old daughter, who was still trapped in Mariupol. Yulia felt that she had no choice but to leave the safety of Poland and against the tide of evacuees return to Ukraine. Memories of her son competed with anxious thoughts about her daughter. Victoria had remained in their small village in southeastern Ukraine when Yulia, the mother, left for Poland to find work to support the family just prior to the occupation. When Russia invaded, Victoria went to the city of Mariupol, where her grandmother lived. After a time, she returned to her village, but found it occupied by Russian soldiers, their house completely destroyed, their belongings looted. She hid in broken down houses, Yulia said. When she got back to Mariupol, her clothes were shredded, torn by flying fragments of glass from the shelling. Things got worse and worse. As she traveled, she was turned back many times. Victoria hoped to make it to Zaporozhye, where many refugees were gathering on their journey to the western borders. But it was not easy to find transportation day after day. She was turned away. Hold on, her mother told her, I am coming. I am coming. Yulia made it to the Dnipro where her son's body lay. There she was given a small Ukrainian flag in the memory of Ignat. She added it to her small backpack where a pair of sweatpants were wrapped around her documents. She then carried on to Zaporozhye in hopes of being reunited with Victoria. After she arrived in Zaporozhye, Yulia was caught in a cold downpour. In addition to her clothes being soaking wet, she was exhausted and felt her health failing. Victoria, her daughter, was still in Berendienz, several hours away. At a collection point, Yulia begged for help in evacuating her daughter from Berendienz, only to be told that there were no green corridors of safety. No one was willing to risk the drive. People told me to wait in Zaporozhye, Yulia said. But wait where? I knew no one in the city. I had nowhere to stay. Then one of the volunteers at the collection point made a call to a new shelter he had heard about, the New Hope Center. The Ministry of Multiply in Ukraine had just renovated their center to accommodate for refugees with offices as dorms and classrooms as storage rooms and a shower. The center had served for years as a ministry to families in crisis. And now in a time of war, the staff were determined to rise to the challenge. They sent a man named Yuri, Yulia related, a man led by God, sent by God. Yuri took Yulia to the New Hope Center, where overwhelmed and exhausted, she fell sick. The kindness with which she was cared for still brings tears to her eyes. I will remember them, she said, all my life. 
at the center, volunteers found a way to evacuate Yuli's, Yulia's daughter from Berdiens. And as the days dragged on, Yuri and others prayed with her, encouraging her to trust God. God sees. He hears. He knows and he cares. Finally, she was told that her daughter was en route to Zaporozhye. I went right away to pray with Yuri, Yulia said. We prayed all evening, then again all the next morning. We prayed for her to pass every checkpoint. Each time we did, she would call. Then we looked at the map and prayed for the next checkpoint. At last, mother and daughter were reunited. They embraced fiercely, tears streaming down their cheeks. Like any mother, she immediately worried that her child was too thin. My daughter was starving, she said forcefully. No food, hiding in basements, sick with, with fever, dead people everywhere, adults, children. This we had seen before in 2014, but then I had been with her. I could not bear to think of her going through this without me. At the New Hope Center, Yulia and Victoria recovered. When I was there, they showed me tulips in a jar, said Yulia. What? When had tulips bloomed? I was constantly crying and worried. I did not see this happen. I went outside and the birds were chirping. The grass was already green. Spring had come. And I had not even noticed. Next time, I want us to notice, to see when spring returns to Ukraine. Eventually, the staff of New Hope Center helped Yulia and her daughter to leave Ukraine and return to Poland. Their mission was to send them on their way with new hope in God's care and in the power of Jesus to heal and to save. Although trauma had left Victoria constantly afraid and unable to sleep, the resiliency of the Ukrainian people is also evident as mother and daughter work to forge a future for themselves. I will work. She will study, Yulia said firmly. We are together. I want my daughter to heal, to grow, to know beauty in life. We continue to pray for peace in Ukraine. I know you do as well. And you've heard other, maybe similar stories. We pray that despite the ongoing war, people like Yulia and Victoria are finding hope and healing. And you can find more about what Multiply is doing in Ukraine by visiting our website. What a story to illustrate this passage that God has indeed seen. Go ahead, the next. He has indeed heard. I am concerned, says the Lord, and I have come. So, so now go and be part of my rescue story. You are part of God's rescue story. Teresa of Avila, 
says this, Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which Christ looks compassionately into the world. Yours are the feet with which Christ walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which Christ blesses the world. The Lord would say to us today that you are part of my rescue story. Each one of us has a rescue story. Many rescue stories of how we have experienced the grace of God at every turn and how we continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling and continue to experience His saving, His rescuing. So today, may we hear His invitation to us. Now go. I am sending you to rescue stories. I invite the worship team to come join me on the platform as we close in prayer. God, thank you. Lord God, the great I am, thank you that you do indeed see us. You hear the cries for help. You know, and you are concerned, and you've come to rescue us. And you have commissioned us to join you in rescuing others. Yeah, would we hear anew the voice of the Father calling us by name? All these things we pray in your precious name. Amen.